This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm going to love the Jets, so when I, when I have the opportunity, I'm hitting free agency, and then I just feel like the stars kind of aligned. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today we are joined by Joe Blewett, who leads our film breakdown efforts at TurnOnTheJets.com. Much like Scott Mason never stops recording podcasts, Joe Blewett never stops watching film, and I'm pretty sure he's literally published 647 uh, article film breakdowns, YouTube film breakdowns, podcast film breakdowns, and Twitter moment breakdowns. So he, he's had it all covered, particularly leading into the NFL draft. Uh, we're going to talk about a range of prospects that he's looked at, mostly focusing on guys that the Jets could look at in the first round, whether they stay put at number three or whether they end up trading back to somewhere in the, I don't know, 5 to 20 range, depending on who their partner ends up being. Before we dive into the interview, reminder, hit us with that rating on iTunes. Hit us with that review on iTunes. We did a little giveaway for a Le'Veon Bell jersey last week. Got a nice big surge of reviews and ratings. A lot of kind words. Uh, We did pick a winner and give that out. I'll do another one in a few weeks, so keep giving the reviews and the ratings. In the meantime, they're still appreciated. Uh, podcast is also on Spotify, Google Play, and published on turnonthejets.com. Yours truly will have an article out today, the day this is released, about the Jets' versatility in their passing game and how Adam Gase used 11 personnel for Miami's offense last year. And on Friday, I'll have 12 more draft thoughts. And on Saturday, I'll have another mailbag. So a lot of content leading into next week from yours truly. I know it's been a little quiet. From an article standpoint with me, outside of releasing uh, my thoughts on the Jets schedule, which came out today, uh, were leaked, or today when I'm recording it, uh, were leaked early, uh, some interesting things in there, so, so check that out on the website. All right, I'm rambling enough. Joe, thank you for joining us. How you doing? Uh, good. You know, we were just talking a little bit before we started recording, and just the amount of film breakdowns I've been doing um, from, you know, 20-plus prospects where I'm doing, like, anywhere from 20 to 40 place for each of them on top of doing Mosley and Bell and Ty Montgomery and Osemele and Brian Poole. Um, I'm ready for the draft to be over, you know, have a surge a little bit the week after it's done doing the guys in the second, not the second actually, unless they trade down, but the third, the fourth, the, se- the sixth, and the seventh round. Um, that'll be busy for like a week after, but then once May, middle of May rolls around, hang out a little bit, you know, not do a, not do a film review every other day and maybe instead like twice a week. Um, so I'm looking forward to, the, to uh, you know, the slow period for a little bit because the last month or two has just been pretty stressful. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Man, and it is kind of nice, like, when you see, like, what the actual class looks like and you kind of dive, get to dive into some players who, you know, it's hard to have any idea who the Jets are going to take on day two or day three. So then you once you find out who those guys are, you could dive into some players who I think in some cases you end up being pleasantly surprised by and in some cases be disappointed by. Dylan Donahue, Nathan Shepard, looking at you. Uh, But let's focus on who the Jets could look at in the first round. And let's start with more of the trade-back potential targets. Now, I recently did an article on 12 guys the Jets could theoretically look at if they traded back. You've already broken down film on some of these guys. The three of them that jump to the top of my mind are Jonah Williams, Brian Burns, uh, and Garrett Bradbury. And I think with Jonah Williams, I'm probably still a little higher on him than most people are. I do feel that in the right system, he could be a plug-and-play starting tackle in the NFL. Uh, I don't think he's going to end up getting outside of the top 10, but if the Jets ended up trading down four to six spots and landed him, 
I would be content with that selection. Uh, Burns is interesting. I think there's a really wide range of opinions on him. I've heard some people say he's the best pure pass rusher in the draft. I've heard some people say that he's really a borderline first-round talent at best. And with Bradbury, I don't think there's any doubt that he's the best center in this class. It's just that he is probably going to settle into being in a weird spot in the draft where the Jets are unlikely to be able to pick. He's obviously not going to be there in round three. I don't even think he'll be there in round two if they acquired a second-round pick. He seems like someone who's more likely to go in the, I don't know, 17 to 25 range. And I'm not sure the Jets are going to end up having any realistic way to get that low. But what are your thoughts on those three overall and then as potential targets for the Jets if they trade back? Yeah, they're all, all those guys on my board are they're actually all in the top 10 um, for me personally. And you have to consider if my board, um, you know, I didn't do guys like Kyle Murray. I didn't do guys like Haskins because, you know, obviously the Jets are not going to draft them. It'd be a waste of hours and hours of my time. And my board isn't necessarily, okay, well, you know, my guy at seven, you know, I'm definitely going to take over the guy at nine because at some point you do have to weigh in, you know, need and positional value um, into your board. But I just kind of, you know, based on talent and feeling and weighing all those things versus each other, uh, all three of those guys are on my board. And Bradbury is actually much, much higher than I've seen, you know, as compared to mine as to other people's where he's number five on my board. Uh, I'm super, super high on Bradbury. Um, and I understand that people have him a little bit lower just because of the positional value. Some people won't think centers is important. I'm, you know, more of the train of thought where I think, you know, every single position on the offensive line is extremely important. We've seen over the last couple of years, we're going from, you know, Nick Mangold to guys like Jonathan Harrison and, you know, Wesley Johnson has done and Spencer Long uh, to our quarterback. So I, I think it is important. And he's more of a guy who is, a scheme dependent guy like listen if you were going to be running a power scheme a man scheme a gap scheme do you want a guy like Garrett Bradbury no because he doesn't have the necessary strength um and length and just overall size to you know execute drive blocks and really move guys and move those tackles in the middle creating lanes but if you're a team like the Jets who are going to be a zone heavy team that's this at least what's believed um with Frank Pollock coming in because Adam Gates isn't really known uh, to run his own, you know, running scheme. He usually has guys, um, you know, to coordinate that. So you'd assume that they're going to be running a lot of the zone. And for a guy in Bradbury, he's perfect in zone. I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Jets if you do um, trade down, let's say, to Washington or wherever they're at. I forget all the picks. 15, um, I'm, I would be fine with taking him anywhere past, you know, 10 because of the positional value. But he's a, he's a guy who, when you watch him, he moves absurdly well. Um, for center where he almost looks like he's a tight end. He's elite first step. He has elite hips. He has, uh, you know, elite fluidity. Uh, he's, re- he's really, really just top notch player in terms of getting to the second level of his speed. And he's really good at getting his hips around on blocks, uh, overtaking combos, um, whether it be on the front side or the back side of the combo. On the front side, he's really good at passing it off um, to the, you know, whether it be the left guard or the uh, right guard and then moving up to the second level at the precisely right time to pick up a linebacker safety who's trying to scrape over the top and get on the run play. And he's also elite. If he's on the back side of it, let's say if he's on the back side of a, you know, inside zone or whatever zone, you know, wide zone, mid zone to the right side. And, you know, he's blocking the three tech with the right guard. If there's a late blitzing linebacker or a linebacker's going to try to pay, uh, penetrate the backside a gap, he has a really, really good awareness to, to jump off of that block and pick up, um, the you know, blitzing linebacker, and there's actually times uh, where I've seen him, you know, reach block a three tech. As he's reach blocking the three tech, there's a backside linebacker who's going to shoot that gap and, and bring the running back down from behind. He'll peel off of that block and block the the blitzing linebacker. So he's so good with his movement that he's a really interesting guy. So I would like to see the Jets grab if he uh, 
you know, if they do trade down, and I'm fine with taking him anywhere, you know, past 10, I think he really is a top-notch level player. I was talking about Brian Burns. He's an interesting guy because you're talking about, like, him being, you know, the best pure pass rusher. And I think people are talking about that in terms of just his overall skill set where he has really, like, elite bend where he's almost, it looks like his knees are almost to the ground when he's, when he's rushing at times. He's so low. Uh, he has really good hands. He has counters. He can win inside. He can win outside. He has really good bursts. Um, really good fluidity. He's hard to get away from as a quarterback or even a running back in the open field or trying to juke him because he has he's really good arm length. Um, so it's hard to escape him. But you look at some of the pass rushing problems that he has. You know, rushing at two thirty, two thirty five. You can you can you know imagine what problems that uh, what what problems that comes with. Where in the run game he's not super. He's not good in the run game because of that size. And he also has some technique flaws in the run game where you know he'll overset a gap. He'll, he'll you know he'll come up to the field too vertically or too wide. Uh, creating a big gap to the B gap. He's, he's not great at containing where he'll get kicked inside versus a tight end where you do not want to see that. And in the run game, it, I mean, in the pass game where it hurts him with his size is, listen, you can, he can win off the edge plenty, but if he doesn't win cleanly, you see him bending that arc and trying to flatten to get to the quarterback and flips it, flip his hips. If an offensive lineman gets their hands on his hips or his shoulder because he's so light and he doesn't have great power through contact, he gets pushed up the arc. And, you know, uh, too far behind the depth of the quarterback's drop, and he's basically out of the rush. So, uh, but it was obviously, you know, encouraging with the NFL, you know, the combine and all that, that he tested at like 242, 250, uh, that he tested so well, so that's a step up. But you also, you know, you know, Joe, that, you know, underwear Olympics and carrying that weight for one rep of a three-cone or 40-yard dash is a little bit different than playing, you know, 60 snaps in a game. So that's a question for him. And then the last guy, Jonah Williams, who was number nine on my board, and by the way, Burns was seven. Um, Jonah Williams is nine. I think he's a guy who you want to see in the zone, the zone team too. And I don't necessarily buy all the, you know, uh, talk that he should be an in, in interior defensive or uh, offensive lineman because I don't think he has the strength necessary to play nose tackles or play defensive tackles because it's one of the biggest issues that Jonah Williams has. Um, is his power in the run game where you see him duck his head a little bit. You don't see him with a good base. Um, or good hands in the run game. Or when I heard about him, I thought he was a technician um, all around in this game, which for the most part is true. And 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 past sets, he has a good he has a good kick slide. Uh, he stays nice and balanced on his feet. He keeps his hips square for the most part. There are refs that you know he'll he'll overset. Um, but it's a little bit more rare. But in the run game, you see him come in uncontrolled. You see the lack of power. You see the lack of leg drive. Um, where it stands out versus outside linebackers and middle linebackers sometimes. So you try to you know, assume what he's going to be in the NFL versus one linebackers and middle linebackers, uh, safeties, whoever it may be, who are much stronger, but then translate that to defensive tackles. Even just thinking about a guy like who the Jets have had the last couple of years, like Steve McClendon or Mike Pennell, like, is he going to be able to drive them um, and on block? I don't really think so. So I think he's more of a zone type guy uh, and a tackle, but good in the past game, struggles in the run game, kind of like a lot of the Jets, the guys the Jets have. I think Jonah Williams is better than both of these guys, but you see that with, with guys like Kelvin Beecham, and Brandon Shell, like I said, I, don't, I think he's better than those guys, but it's kind of like a similar player where he's good in that aspect of the game, pass blocking, pass setting, uh, but in the run game he struggles. But I, I would agree that if they trade down, um, they're all good targets. I'll all be, you know, I'd be very happy with all those guys because, like I said, they're all in my top ten on my big board. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's talk about another guy who visited with the Jets earlier this week, which which turned some heads and. There's talk, could he be a top five pick? There's talk, could he be a guy that they trade back? Uh, and land, there are some people who think he's the best interior defensive lineman in this class. I know you disagree with that, and I, I personally disagree with it as well. I, I don't have him ranked higher than Quinnen. 
What are your thoughts on Ed Oliver overall and where he should go and any Jets potential interest in him? Yeah, he's, he, he finishes eight on my board. So if you're trading below, you know, if you're trading maybe back to six, seven, eight, I would be completely fine with that pick. And I've seen some mock drafts recently, have him at three. Now, if you take him at three over a guy like Josh Allen, um, over a guy like even Juwan Taylor, if you take him over Quentin Williams, I, I, will def- I will not be happy at all. Um, he's a guy who, listen, he makes plenty of highlight, highlight plays because he's, he's an elite athlete, um, just absolutely fantastic in that way where he has great bursts, his great first step, his acceleration is, is top-notch, his speed is top-notch, uh, really good hips, really good bend for his size. Uh, he has a, he's kind of like springy and he just absorbs contact where you, you, you hit him in the chest and he just doles that contact back out where it almost looks unnatural. So that's all great and that's good. And I understand in, in people's comparison to him and Donald in that athletic type of a way, but people don't realize Donald has that, but he has elite um, IQ and, I, and elite uh, you know, technical aspects of his game which is why he wins. Everybody in the NFL is a freak, some more than others, but the really, really good players, the first thing you need to have is smarts and technique, and Oliver on film does not have that. He's a guy who um, will just put his head down a lot, and you just, you just see him lower his helmet into the center, the guard, whoever it may be. He'll blow up the play, and if the running back's there and he picks his head up, that's great. But if they're running out the opposite way or if they're running you know, a wide zone or a pitch and it's a little bit wider of the, uh, the running back's path, he'll take himself out of the play. There's multiple plays where I see him you know, if he's a three tech or a one tech on either the play, uh, let's say it's the backside of a run and they're pulling the guard on a sweep or, uh, or on a counter and you see that bucket step, a guy like Quentin Williams, who I know we'll talk about a little bit later, as soon as he sees them vacate that zone, he knows, uh, he knows a sweep is coming. He knows a power is coming. He knows a counter is coming because he's so good at reading blocks. He knows the down blocks coming. So he either penetrates fast or he's going to scrape down a lot of scrimmage with a good extension and read the run and then blow off the run where a guy like Ed Oliver will duck his head into the down block from the center. And, yeah, he might blow up the center. It looked really cool in a highlight film where he knocks the center on his, you know, on his, on his butt. But um, he took himself out of the play to make a tackle on the running back. So how much of a big impact did he make? So he's a guy who's an exceptional athlete getting low, the power that he has for his size, the bend, all that stuff. But I think he is lacking um, in, in the technical aspect of the game and in the IQ of the game, which, which holds him back from me because, like I said, uh, that's what's most important you know, to me. So. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Is there any, and I know we haven't dove too deep on them, is there any offensive skill position players that you think could be reasonable value in the 10 to 20 range? We know the Jets had a visit with Noah Fant. We know there's been some rumored interest uh, in Hawkinson. I don't think any of the receivers are going to happen in the first round. I actually think it's a really weak, at least at the top, a weak group of receivers. Mm -hmm. But... How do you feel about sort of the rumored top of this receiver list and the, the top two tight, tight end options? And do you think there could be any players that the Jets could theoretically consider if they end up picking 14th or 15th or something like that? Yeah, I, I think the only really offensive players that they're going to that they're going to consider are, are linemen, um, because like you said, you're doing an article on Gase's use of 11 personnel, which he used heavy in Miami. He has a lot of ties back to it, even Chicago when he played. Um, with that, or when he coached them, or even with uh, Peyton Manning, 11 personnel is what he typically uses. Uh, he loves gun sets, 11 personnel, spreading those three receivers out really wide, um, opening up that defense. So you look at a guy like Hawkinson, who's actually really high on my board. He's six. I, I really, really like Hawkinson. But would I take him you know, above guys like Brian Birds, Ed Oliver, and jo- uh, Jonah Williams? No. Um, one, because of positional value. And two, where does he fit? Because you have to realize if a guy 
like Hawkinson's coming out of the game, then pick the Jets' skill position that you want out of the game. You're not picking Bell out. You're not going to take Herndon out from how he played last year. So are you going to take out Quincy Nunwa, who's super versatile, Jamison Crowder, who's versatile, or a guy like Robbie Anderson, who you know has obviously questions off the field, but I don't think anybody can argue he's one of the best deep throws in the game. So you're kind of you're going to gain a really good player, but to get him on the field, you're also you know taking away from another player. And yeah, it's good to have depth at, at you know tight end. So I'm people, oh well, you know you don't need another tight end, uh, two tight end. You're happy with Jordan Leggett. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to fit him in as much as he should play for being as high as a pick as he would be if the Dutch traded back and got him there. Um, I just don't think it really makes sense. Same thing with Fant. Uh, Hawkinson's a really just good overall player, really smooth, really good in his routes, good hands, good yak, um, who can block. I still think he needs some work in terms of his uh, in, in terms of his control and breaking down and getting square in the second level, but he's still a really good blocker. Fant's the you know Jimmy Graham type freak guy yak uh, you know type tight end who can you know catch balls outside of his frame really good hands and is explosive um, but I don't think that fits either so that kind of you know I don't think he fits either so that kind of you know goes for both those guys where I don't really see where you fit an extra tight end in this uh, offense where yeah you're going to run some 12 personnel you know 22 whatever it may be but it's not going to be your primary set and like I said you're going to take away one of your other skill guys and in terms of the uh, receivers, it's kind of the same thing. Who are you taking out then? You know, unless you're going to run a, ten, a, a ton of like 10 personnel, um, or, you know, I don't really think there's another spot for one of these guys. I don't really think one of these guys is, is worth it for the Jets to pick because, you know, you, you want to play Crowder a lot. He's a really versatile slot guy. Obviously, Robbie Anderson, no matter who's in the draft, is the best deep threat um, that you're going to have. And Anunwa is a guy who could literally do anything from, you know, from slot to Z to X to H back jet sweeps, end rounds, whatever you want him to do. So I think the Jets, you know, they don't have that top flight guy in Julio Jones or Antonio Brown or one of these guys, but I think their skill positions um, are actually pretty solid. I don't, I can't really remember the skill positions this good and this well-rounded. And you can argue, you know, Eric Decker and Marshall in 2015, but they also didn't have a Le'Veon Bell and they didn't really have a tight end. So it's definitely a really interesting group. And looking at the top guys, you know, uh, I have Hakeem Butler and, and uh, DK Metcalf, Metcalf up top. And I actually, I have Butler above Metcalf. I get all the hype that he has coming out of the draft with his side and his, his size and his speed and all the stuff. And I've talked about it before with the technique, and we just mentioned it. Um, that's that's a lot more um, into what I look at. But obviously, you do have to possess the physical traits, which I'm sure we'll talk about with some of the edge rushers if we do, um, and what separates some of them. But um, but DK Metcalf is a guy who's severely lacking his route running. I think he's really good at getting off the line and press. Um, but when you talk about the second phase in his route running, whether it be attacking blind spots, um, knowing how to set up cornerbacks uh, at the tops of his route stems, I don't really think he's very strong there. I think he's a guy who, listen, you're going to run him on nine routes, you're going to run him on slants, you're going to run him on curls, and he'll be good at that. But I don't really think he offers much more. Um, and you didn't really see a lot of versatility at Ole Miss, where a guy like Hakeem Butler, he, he played all those positions as well. He's a guy who's six six, uh, massive hands, super physical, um, in the run game and will just bull you over um, getting yak where it takes, you know, frequently there's three, four, five guys trying to tackle him. He never just goes down and, and concedes, um, you know, extra yards. So he's an interesting guy who who actually uh, runs some good routes. And I've heard some people, you know, talking about his routes and, and you know, he's not super sharp out of his breaks. He's six six. You understand how long his legs are and how big his strides are. He's not going to run routes like Jameson Crowder or Adam Humphreys who are like five eight five nine. So, um, they're two interesting guys, but I don't. I don't think they would be realistic options. I think if you're down in that range, you're looking at guys more like Risner and and Dillard, and you know Taylor if he falls. I don't think he will. Jonah Williams. I I think those are the really only like offensive players are going to look at as offensive linemen. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs>
All right, focusing back up in the top of the draft. Personally, I don't think the Jets are going to be able to find a partner uh, to trade down with. I know there's been some hedging on it, but I feel like Kyler is going to end up going first overall. Uh, unless he does not go first overall, uh, then I think it would be easier to find a potential trade partner. But I have a feeling that the Jets are ultimately going to end up making their pick at third overall. Now, I know we got a curveball last year on the day of the draft when Baker ended up going first, and it was still actually kind of a surprise that Saquon still went second. But I think as of now, the safe bet or the safest bet is probably Kyler going first and Bosa going second, leaving the Jets, if they stay at three, uh, to pick between Josh Allen, Quentin Williams, or I think anyone else would be considered a major, major surprise if they pick someone besides those two, if they cannot trade back. Mm-hmm. So you're uh, obviously a very big proponent of Qu- Quentin Williams. He's a top-ranked player on your board. You've been doing this for a few years. Give us, from your perspective, where he sort of ranks overall as a level of prospect, not just in this class, but in the past few years of defensive prospects you've been looking at. Yeah, and it's not only me who's going to say this, but and obviously there are different players in terms of athleticism where, where Donald has you know, more of that speed and that burst. Um, but if you look, even if you just look at highlight films, you know, if you don't want to put in the work, you don't want to go watch my film, you don't want to watch film of Donald, Look at five-minute highlight tape of him and then watch a five-minute highlight tape of Quinn and Williams. And their technique is eerily similar in how they win, where their first step, you know, they're, they're in a softer stance. So in, instead of a lot of their weight um, in their three-point stance, four-point stance being on the, on the tips of their fingers, um, we're going to explode off the line of scrimmage and just try to penetrate. They do more soft stances where a lot of their weight is, you know, on, on, the, on the balls of their feet. So they, in, instead of, like I said, penetrating, they, they're more read and react. where so they take a read step, which is like basically a lateral step, you wait for the offensive lineman to shoot his hands. When he shoots his hands, you're going to see how his hips are angled off. Or if his hips are angled off, you're still going to attack his hands with, with clubs, rip, uh, you know, club arm overs, whatever it may be. There was times on film, um, and I get that people don't want to, uh, you know, Quinn Williams at, uh, at three. Um, but I think he is one of the most, he's one of the most elite guys I've seen in terms of his technique on the defensive line. On top of, you know, I know Ed Oliver is, is a higher prospect than him in terms of like athleticism. But understand that Quinn Williams also ran like a 4.8 at 300 pounds. And there's some plays where he shows some really, really good uh, bend, some good ankle flexion, um, some good, you know, uh, hip and, and, and the torso mobility. So he's an athlete as well. And the technical thing, like I was saying, there was a one play where, and it's always hard to explain, I always screwed up, but he's over the, he's over the center. Um, as the ball snaps, he takes, he takes a lateral step to the left. And, uh, the center throws out his right arm to, to try to block, uh, you know, Quinton Williams with just the right arm to assist the, the, uh, the right guard who he's stepping to. Quinton Williams controls that right arm with his right arm as he's stepping, um, horizontally, uh, throws a club move to the right guard, hitting, hitting him on his shoulder as he's, as he's avoiding the punch of the right guard. And then that right arm that was controlling the, uh, punch of the, uh, of the tackle or sorry, of the, uh, center. Um, he uses that into a into a swim. So controlling two guys' arms, you know, at once in a rush is just ridiculously impressive. It's it's not just athleticism. It's not just power. That technique um, to be able to do that and have that accurate of hands is is beyond really anything I've I've seen. Um, minus from guys like Donald and people. Oh well, you know, one year wonder. Yeah, but technique does not just disappear. Now, if you're wondering about production versus guy. Uh, you know, with a guy like maybe like, you know, Ed Oliver, who's more just strength and speed and things like that, who's, who played small schools like Rice and, and he played Navy, then, then yeah, it's more of a concern. Um, but Quinny Williams on, on, you know, 
on top of being really, really refined technically, um, being a young prospect, which I know you do not like when, you know, McCagney drafts guys who are like 30 years old, um, and who's such a good locker room guy, all of those, all of those traits combined into, into one player is why I'm taking him at three. Uh, he's my number one player. And listen, I understand the, p- the positional value outside linebacker versus defensive tackle, which, you know, you can argue outside pressure versus inside pressure all day. Some prefer uh, inside pressure, which, which I personally do because I think you blow up the play. Tom Brady, can, he, says it, he says it himself he's not um, a guy who likes to face interior pressure and people will bring up or talk, you know, talk themselves in their head, oh, well, you know, all these athletic guys. Okay, so even if you're going to scramble out to the left or to the right, you're still cutting off a half field of read unless, you know, half the field of reads unless you're a guy like Mahomes who can make those throws. That's, that's one quarterback out of 32. Um, so, so interior pressure, I think, wins um, personally for me. And Josh Allen's a player who, I don't know if they're going to ask me about it, but he's a guy who is a B, B-plus level talent, who has a really, really high ceiling to me, but he also has a relatively low floor in terms of being like a guy who's like maybe like from six to nine sacks, you know, a year, where Quinn Williams is a guy who I, I bet people multiple times. Um, I'm very, very strong in this opinion. I think he's going to easily be a pro baller. Uh, maybe his first year, but after his first year, I, I definitely think he will be. So I'm not going to take a B plus player because he's at a more position of need versus an A plus player because you know you have to build for the future. And I understand outside linebacker has been a huge need for the Jets, but when I see an elite player like that, who you asked me like to compare him from D D line prospects over the years, I haven't seen one better in the last three years that I that I've personally watched. Um, you know, for at least for my eyes. So. Uh, I'm going to take him. You know, he's going to be great there. Greg Williams will be able to fit him in his defense with Leonard Williams. It's not a worry to me. So uh, he's just, he, I think he's on a tier of his own. I get people saying Bosa, but uh, Bosa, I think, is a little bit, on, you know, I think he's a little bit overhyped for some reasons. I think he has a really low, um, or sorry, I think he has a really high uh, floor, but a lower ceiling. Like, I never think he's going, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who is getting you know, 20 sacks a year, a guy like, you know, Chandler Jones or not, well, not 20 sacks a year. That's ridiculous. But you know what I'm saying? Like reaching that 20 sack a year, guy like Chandler Jones, guy like Khalil Mack, guy like Von Miller, because there's a couple of necessary traits you have to have to be able to do that. And that's, you know, it's, it's arm length, it's strength, it's technique, it's burst and it's bend. Um, and I stand by that. That's, 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 that's those are my fire traits. You absolutely need to have to be a top flight pass rusher. When you watch Bosa's tape, he's a, he, has, he has solid bend, but it's not elite bend. He's a good first step, but it's not elite first step. Watch some of his plays, it looks like he's if – you, if you go from watching a guy like Polite to, or Burns or Allen to Bosa, you, you definitely notice that first step. So he's lacking in some of those areas where I think he's easily a guy who's going to be 10 to 13 sacks a year. But if that's what you want, great, you can do that. But you also have to consider injuries, and, I, and that, he's my second player. I was still taking him over Josh Allen, but I just don't think his ceiling is as high – as a guy like Josh Allen or a guy like Quentin Williams. So um, I don't know if I answered that question, multiple questions in one, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, let's, before we wrap, talk about Josh Allen. What player does he remind you of currently at the NFL? I've seen an Anthony Barr comparison come up multiple times, actually. That is sort of the baseline one that that's circulated, been circulated through NFL.com, but I've also heard it in a few other places. He seems to be... And from what I see of him, he is not – I understand some arguments of him maybe not being the best pure pass rusher in the class, but for a guy who can be – do a little bit of everything at the linebacker position and move around and thrive in a lot of different systems if used properly uh, and could do – bring things from an athletic standpoint that the Jets have not had uh, on the outside in a long time. Now, 
I don't know how the Jets are going to stack their big board. I've been probably more lucky than actually just being right in the past two years and guessing that Sam Darnold was 100% the top guy in their draft board last year, and I still believe that. And same thing with Jamal Adams the year before. Now, how they stack and rank players could very well be different now with a different head coach. Um, I could absolutely, and whether it ends up being the right choice or not, because certainly they've made plenty of wrong choices in the past few years, I could absolutely see this Jets regime saying, we really wanted Anthony Barr. We wanted a player with his skill set, roughly. We see Josh Allen has a younger, cheaper version of that. And with Greg Williams coaching him up, we think he could become the player we wanted Anthony Barr to be and we were going to pay $60 million for. Does that logic or reasoning that could very well be going on within the Jets building and is going on from some people who are uh, breaking down Allen line up or make sense based on what you've seen from him? Yeah, yeah, and this, you could look at this from multiple angles. Like, you know, you talk about the players that they drafted in the last couple of years, like Jamal Adams, safe player, uh, Leonard Williams, safe player. So they're going to want a safer guy, you know, in Quinn and Williams over Josh Allen. We really don't know what they're going to do um, with this third pick, but Josh Allen is my third player. It's not like I'm low on Josh Allen. I think he has an absurdly high um, ceiling where I talked about those five traits before. I believe he possesses all of those things. Now, does he need to learn to convert speed to power better? Um, yeah, for sure. Does he need to learn how to play the run game better? Yes. Does he need to win or, or win more inside? Yes. But it's also encouraging that two years ago, he didn't really produce anything at Kentucky. And then this last year, like 18 and a half stacks, wherever it was. And even from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, I noticed progression in his pass rush moves, which is, which is a great thing because, like I said, some of the biggest, um, you know, concern about his game is that he doesn't win inside. And I saw multiple times with him using, you know, sta- uh, rushing hard up the arc, stabbing outside, getting a head kick outside, and then, you know, uh, bursting hard inside with a cross chop and, and beating the, the tackler across their face. I saw some times where, you know, the, the offensive tackle at the end of the season would be leaning hard on him to try to negate the speed rush. Uh, Josh Allen would feel that and then use a, use a hump move um, to, you know, to basically throw off their balance and then win inside. So I saw some of those things progressing, and that's why I think, you know, he can progress and, and hopefully be that player. Um, like I said, I think he has a lower, I think he has a you know a lower uh, floor than some of the other guys, but I think the hard ceiling is is really really hard to pass. And honestly, you know, I've been watching this film for like uh, two years, like this heavily. So to make a player comparison, I, I think like body body length and some of the things he could do. I think like Chandler Jones uh, might be a player that he can turn into. I, I see him almost similar uh, coming out to, which is he's a little bit he's a lot lighter and they went a little bit differently. But like him and Leonard Floyd, but Leonard, Leonard Floyd is a guy who wins a little bit more inside, more lanky, doesn't have as much power as Josh Allen. But I think those are two guys who, like, just on the top of my head um, are, are kind of similar. But I think Josh Allen's ceiling is like that Chandler Jones-type player. And if he develops that, that speed of power, that uh, the speed of power and all those things I'm talking about, he's a player who could play, you know, 4-3 end. He could play either spot in, in outside linebacker in a 3-4, three, uh, three, whether it be Will or, or Jack or Sam or whatever, you know, it may be. I think he could blitz from the middle linebacker spot. Uh, I think he can rush from five, you know, four, four I, um, nine tech, which, you know, Greg Williams likes to use a ton in his defense. You, you saw it a lot with Miles Garrett, where he'd basically, you know, split him out, uh, to wide nine along with another guy wide nine on the other, other side of the, uh, of the line. And then they would basically isolate the guard in the center, or uh, the two guards in the center, and they would run a lot of stunts inside. So they basically take the tackles out of the game. Um, so that's something he could do. So he's super versatile, and that's not even mentioning his coverage ability, which is coverage ability. I think he's not just a guy who just is going to drop into coverage and is kind of loafing out there and doesn't really know what he's doing. You, you see him have some good coverage ability, like uh, playing the upfield hip, looking at the quarterback, keeping his hands on, 
there's times where he matches tight ends where he runs up with, you know, with them up the seam and then, you know, breaks underneath as the ball is thrown and get a pass deflection. So he's a guy who's very, very versatile. Uh, he could play anywhere if he does reach his ceiling. Now, if he doesn't reach his ceiling, that's a concern where, you know, he has to improve in the run game and he has to use speed to power because speed to power is huge. You see with, you know, Von Miller and Cleo Mack all the time. Listen, if he's going to burst up, you know, up the arc with that great first step that he has, great speed and stri- stride length that he has, and you're going to overset, you're going to get, you're going to get on your toes, um, and you're going to be off balance. I'm going to flip my hips from from outside at a, you know, at a at a kind of a a softer edge angle to a harder edge angle and put my hips directly at the quarterback. I'm going to turn my speed right into power. I'm going to power right through you, get low, get my hands inside. I'm going to bull rush you right back into the quarterback. That's something he needs to develop. Uh, and in the run game too, I thought about like, kind of like with Burns where you see him, you know, setting too far vertically or too far horizontally, creating a big B gap. He gets blocked by tight ends sometimes. Um, but I think that's more technique for him than power because like, he does display that power at times. So, uh, he's a super interesting player, and I think if he does reach his ceiling, I think I think he'd easily be the best player in the draft. But um, there's just a big gap from me from that from that floor to that ceiling. All right, Joe Blewett, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for joining us. Continue to plug away. Uh, you only have. God, it's like when this publishes, we're only going to be one week out uh, from the NFL draft, and then we can start diving into the players they did actually add and and figure out how this roster can ultimately come together, a roster that I think we all agree is improved but could still use some fine-tuning in some places. So everyone give Joe a follow on Twitter, at JoeRB31. You can also listen to him on the Play Like a Jet podcast feed at least once or twice a week uh, and check out his articles at TurnOnTheJets.com. Joe, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Hopefully I get to uh, talk to you after draft time. We get to talk about uh, whoever they get and then however they fit into the the Jets uh, system. I'm really excited. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man.